Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hey there, wellness and wanderlust friends. I hope you're having an amazing day wherever this episode finds you. And for those who celebrate, I'd like to wish you a very happy Hanukkah. Thank you all so much for being a part of this community and for tuning in this week. Whether you're brand new to the show or a longtime listener, I am thrilled to welcome you here. I'm really excited to share that I was recently interviewed for the Behind Within Her podcast by my new friend, Berlina Washington. I had the honor of joining Berlina to kick off season two of her show with a fantastic conversation on finding and living in your purpose. Berlina is amazing and her show really helps listeners feel seen and heard. So I hope you'll check out the Behind Within Her podcast and hit the subscribe button there. I will link to our episode in the show notes as well. I'm also very excited to share this week's episode with you all today. I had the pleasure of speaking with Jean Tian, the founder and creator of The Success Method. As the firstborn daughter of Asian immigrants, Jean followed her parents' formula for success. She graduated from an Ivy League university and was pushed to work in a corporate setting that would provide her a nice paycheck. Even though her corporate career flourished, she continued to fumble through life until she finally realized that happily ever after doesn't automatically happen when you start to make more money or climb the corporate ladder. So we talk about where that happily ever after does come in. And in our conversation, Jean shares how we can define what success truly means to us and what we can do to find meaning and joy in our work. We discuss our struggles with imposter syndrome and ways to overcome it, the difference between being busy and being productive, how to find your zone of genius, the power of self-care and restorative rest, and much, much more. Our sponsor for today's episode has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because my doctor recommended I start incorporating greens into my morning routine, and I wanted to cut back on some of the many vitamins I take with breakfast. I work in community engagement and PR, so I'm on the go quite a bit, and time is a luxury. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. I take AG1 every morning before breakfast, and it's great for digestion and gut health, energy, and immune health. AG1 is lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no nasty chemicals. AG1 has high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb, and it's a great way to take care of yourself with a busy lifestyle. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash wanderlust. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash wanderlust to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, friends, now on to today's show. Hi, Jean. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. Thanks so much, Valerie, for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I am really excited to get into some of the work that you do. But before we do that, why don't you first start out by telling our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much for the opportunity. So my name is Jean Tian, and I am the creator of The Success Method, which I think we'll go into in a little bit as well. 
Um, but I've been in corporate for most of my life with over 20 years of experience. And I've always struggled with this whole corporate mentality of the do's and don'ts and how to actually succeed within corporate because it never really seemed to fit into this paradigm that I was raised with, which was like, if you put your head down and work hard, then you know, you'll definitely do well, which I think takes you to a certain point in a corporate career. But then afterwards, it's not necessarily about working hard. I think it's more about working smart and not necessarily in the way that I think most people think about that as well. I completely agree. I think that there's a lot that we struggle with in in corporate America and with a lot of what we've been told and a lot of the lessons I think that are instilled in us from an early age about how we should be as employees and as workers. And so I love the working smart, not necessarily working harder. And that's something I'm still grappling with and trying to figure out my own systems. So talk to me about a little bit of what you've discovered like through this journey and some of the lessons that you've learned that that have led to this method? Oh, yeah. So I had a really difficult experience when I first started working after I graduated from law school. And I thought from that experience on because it was like, that was the beginning of it. And it was for years on afterwards that I really struggled, not necessarily with the work itself, per se, although I struggled with kind of like the mundaneness of the work, right, to be honest, but I think we have to go through that when we first start out in the corporate career. But what I really struggled with was really about dynamics in, in individual dynamics at the workplace. Like, it's funny because I was actually just downstairs in my basement before looking at my bookshelf and I, I, I found these books that I had bought in the past. It's like how to work with toxic people, how to you know create team <laughs> dynamics. I mean, that was everything that I was focused on. And it just takes so much energy and focus away from the actual job itself that it really consumed me. And the issue that I specifically had was with my managers and not one per se, but there were multiple. And it's funny because last night I was thinking like, you know, a lot of people say they don't like to work for women because it's difficult, but I've actually had the exact opposite experience. The women I've worked with were strong, um, they were fair. I mean, they were tough, but they were fair and they were strong and they were super intelligent. And the issues where I had were actually with men who created a very difficult working situation. And so with these men, it was always this concept that I've been told actually from them specifically, don't talk too loud, don't challenge authority. You know, you have to be just like me. You have to think like me. You have to behave like me. You have to act like me in order for me to be good enough to climb that corporate ladder, right? Because ultimately, if they're my managers, they get to decide if I get promoted or not. So unless and until I was able to demonstrate that I could be just like them, I wasn't always good enough to be at the top of the ladder. And so that's where I became extremely frustrated with my corporate career because at the end of the day, I was constantly working double duty, I would say, because I wasn't, not, I wasn't just doing my job. I was also trying to be somebody I'm not. And that like one and one did not equal two at that point. One and one equaled like a hundred from an energy and from a mental capacity. And I never felt like, and it was always disappointing because I could never do what they did because I'm not them, right? And then so I always felt as if I wasn't good enough. 
and I was constantly berating myself for it. And then so there was a period of time, I want to say like almost five, six years ago that I, you know, my career was actually doing okay at that point because I was starting to mimic them pretty well. But then I woke up every morning like just exhausted and I don't want to say depressed because I don't think I was depressed, but I was very frustrated. And I really couldn't imagine living the rest of my life doing this act, right, of going to work and then coming home and then being mom and then, you know, like having to repeat all over again. And it just felt super empty on the inside. And so, you know, I, I started looking for the solution of what was missing within me. Like, what was it that I, I could see myself doing for the rest of my life? And that's how I came about into this creation of the success method. I mean, it's taken me a few years to get here to create it. But eventually, this method is basically a seven step process that encompasses all of the personal journey and growth and tools that I have gone and done on my own to get to a place where I can comfortably say I'm in a good place, both at corporate and personally. And, you know, I, I think I'll leave it at that just because it's so subjective in terms of what being in a good place is. So I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that for now. I think that's such a cool journey, though, and I think it's something that a lot of people, especially women, can relate to having the male coworkers or the male supervisors who have a very particular vision of how we need to behave in the workplace and specifically how women need to behave in the workplace. I think it can be so different, and I've seen a lot of women in my own organization struggle because you know with certain growth opportunities because of the you know the expectations that were placed on them even though they were doing a fantastic job objectively toward whatever tangible goals there were but I can also, I think, relate on the, um, you know, on the energetic side of it too. I'm highly sensitive and I'd imagine, you know, with your intuitive work, you probably are as well. And, you know, you absorb, I think any of the, the toxic personalities, I took a strength profile not too long ago for a program that was talking about what are your strengths, but also what brings you energy and what lights you up. Because some of these things that we do, we're good at, we've taught ourselves to do, but it's just a learned behavior and it's not something, you know, it depletes us. And I was finding I had a lot of these learned behaviors that I'm doing that maybe aren't serving my personal highest good, but they were, you know, what we've adapted to mm -hmm. survive in a particular setting, whether, whether it's in a job or it's in a committee or another yeah. group that you're in. And yeah, so I think that's such a relatable thing to have gone through. And I think it's so amazing that you were able to start kind of looking inward for that. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the first and foremost, it's like, yeah, I don't know how many times you've been told this, Valerie. It's like, don't be emotional. And then if you show any signs of emotions, it's like, oh, there goes the crazy girl, you know, whereas like men could be emotional, yep. but they're passionate. <laughs> so it's like, there's so many double standards to kind of weave through. But yes, I absolutely agree with you. It's, you know, having that sensitivity to the energies that surround us almost like then triples the amount of work that we have to do to not get too sucked into all of it as well. Mm-hmm. So how do you navigate that? Yeah, so it's taken me a while. So and, and you know what I, I have to say, because one thing I always want to make sure people understand too, is that this is a this is a learning process, right? And it's a constant evolution. And the universe always has a tendency to show us what we thought we already accomplished. <laughs> They're like, you want to see if you really accomplished it? So, it, you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect. But what I think has worked for me in the things that I've done is number one, it's 
really understanding that the issues that come forward aren't always our issues to possess or to own. And that a lot of the times that the issues really come from the other person and their own insecurities or the fact that, especially if you're highly intuitive or highly sensitive to energy, you could be picking up their energies too. So it's always really important to take a look at the situation and ask yourself, like, does this really belong to me? Right. And there's always like positive aspects to it too. It's like, well, what could I take away from this situation that would help me grow? But I think it's first and foremost, it's like before we start to beat ourselves up, it's like, well, does this energy really belong to me or does it really belong to somebody else? And if it belongs to somebody else, like, let's just send it back to, you know, them with kindness and compassion and awareness. Right. Um, And I think that that is always helpful. Now, I think the other aspect, too, is that this sense of pleasing and ownership is a complicated one, especially for women, um, and especially, and then again, even particularly more so for women who do tend to be more uh, sensitive to energy, too, right? So this ownership of things and this, this need to please, I think, makes us extra you know, like, how do I say this? Like, it almost makes us like immediately want to, you know, solve the problem, right? But sometimes we have to just wait and pause and ask the question of like, is this even our problem to solve? Because I think oftentimes, I don't think it is, you know, I think sometimes a lot of it is just, it's waiting for our guidance, right? And then, you know, when you're doing these two things, what you're really doing in reality is you're looking at how do I want to spend my energy? How do I like where do I want to put my attention and focus on? Because it's not always going to be what we thought. Right. And is is it even why would we spend our energy solving things for others when it has nothing to do with us in the first place? And we're really not doing the other person any favors, too, by by taking care of it for them. Yeah, that's so true. I I feel like I'm someone who like I'll take responsibility for like the world's problems and it has nothing to do with me at that point. And it is something you're right. Like we're picking it up that it's not really it's not really ours. And I love the phrase, not my circus, not my monkeys. Um, And that can feel not necessarily callous. It can feel a little bit impersonal. But I do think, yeah, sometimes it's they're bringing their own insecurities to the table. They're bringing maybe the traffic that they got into on the way in to the table, they're bringing something in there that isn't really related to you at all. But yeah, we we definitely sense that sometimes. And I think just allowing ourselves, giving ourselves the grace to not take that on. I think that's pretty powerful. No, I totally agree with you, Valerie. It really is. And then it really will help too, with regards to the focus. And I think You know, one thing too is that I tend to get very like, I I don't know why I can't figure this out for myself, to be honest. So if any of your audience members have any insight to share, please share with me, is that I get very like, and then to a point where sometimes like it just, I need to release the energy through tears, right? But then when I take a look at and I reevaluate it, you know, I, I start to see these little things that like, I think what I've always done is I've always been quick to blame myself for a lot of whatever happens. Like, oh my gosh, it's my fault that my manager is mad. It's my fault that this person didn't react this way. It's my fault. 
But really at the end of the day, it's, you know, and then when I take a step back, it's not my fault. <laughs> well, you know, and what's really frustrating is that it's not only not my fault, but what I realize is that the other person, and this is where corporate gets so interesting. I call it like psychological warfare. There's so many things that people do in corporate where it's literally psychological warfare, where they're trying to manipulate it every which way. And I don't know if they do it intentionally, but it's like talk about like gaslighting. I call it corporate gaslighting, you know, psychological warfare at work. And it's like, you, you know, we have to walk through and like avoid the, the um, it's like you're walking through a, a minefield, right? And avoiding like the areas that's going to trigger the bomb. And that's not us. Like we're walking yeah. through that minefield. But if we trigger it, it's not because we put the bomb there. It's because they kind of had that <laughs> to trigger. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I wish it, it's funny because I, I feel like I'm listening to myself a little bit on some of this. I wish I had a, you know, a solution for you on how to, you know, not blame yourself. But I mean, just an example, a couple of weeks ago, we're going through in our company, the net promoter scores to see how different departments will rate other departments. And our department had gotten a bad rating about like a missed deadline on something. And my boss had emailed the or she reached out to the team and said, Hey, you know, this is some of the feedback we've gotten so far, whatever it was. And I immediately took responsibility and I said, oh my gosh, it's my fault. I'm sorry, guys. I'll do better. And I spoke with my manager like a week after this and she said it had nothing to do with you. They actually had called somebody out in the review. So it actually was very specific about a person. But the first thing I said was like, wow, I'm bringing down the team's scores and, and, and it had nothing to do with me. But I immediately read myself into the into the survey. And I mean, that is just one small example. But I think that that's something and, and maybe corporations are kind of designed for us to feel this way a little bit sometimes. But yeah, the psychological warfare is something. Yeah, it, it's unfortunate. Yeah. But even if you're on a healthy team and in the organization as a whole, you can still see yep, it. Exactly. And then you know what? And you bring up such a good point, too. It's like psychological warfare we do on ourselves in addition to what other people do to us, too. Right. And I think one of the topics that we wanted to talk about, which if you don't mind, I think this is such a good segue into it is the um, imposter syndrome. Like this is where imposter syndrome comes in. Because people who have this ambition, who have this great work ethic, who are eager to do well and to please, like, there's also this aspect and, you know, and, and sometimes I think having a lot of self-awareness as you and I both do, you know, I think sometimes works to our disadvantage mm -hmm. per se, not all the time, but there are, there is an aspect of it where we have to be thoughtful about because we start to think like, oh, are we really meant? to do this, right? Like, can we really accomplish this because of the psychological warfare that we do to ourselves of what of the stories that we tell ourselves, right? The expectations that we place on ourselves when we have no idea whether or not these expectations are actually in line with reality? Or, you know, are they just like some heightened over processed expectations that we have in our head because we think we should be this way when nobody else in the organization or in our lives think we need to be this way. And I think that's where the imposter syndrome comes in too. It's, it's this aspect of like, oh my gosh, in order to be a CEO, you have to be, you know, you have to act like X, Y, and Z and know one, two, and three, and you have to be able to speak to all of this. And when in reality, like, do you really have to do it? You have, if you have very adept and skilled employees and you can learn all of these things like why can't we all be a CEO right mm -hmm. yeah I mean it makes me think about the studies they've done for like men versus women especially when they're applying for jobs and 
the percentage of the job description that we as women feel that we need, like we need to have like 95 to 100% of what's on the job description. It could be almost us to a T and maybe we just need to learn a little bit of a software or there's something that we could spend a few months and you could get like some decent experience in, but we might not even apply for it. And then I think men, it was like maybe not even half of the job description where they said, yeah, I can do that. And I wish I had that level of confidence, (laughs) but at the same time, like, yeah, that, that imposter syndrome, I mean, there are so many times I'm in a room and I'm thinking, why is anybody listening to what I have to say? And how, how did I even get here? And they're all going to realize that I have no idea what I'm talking about or what I'm doing. And it's like, objectively speaking, we both know for ourselves that it's not true, but we're seeing so many little things that we know, you know, yes, I could do this better. And so it turns into, I think we catastrophize it so much too. Yeah. And then we start to tell ourselves and find, and our brains are like these little supercomputers, right? And like, when we start to tell ourselves like, oh, we can't do that. Then our brain starts to look for all of the evidence of why we can't do that, right? And then so then it just further confirms or validates or, you know, strengthens these this belief that even though it's not even real, that we can't do it. And then so it, it's, it's kind of like a, um, a vicious cycle of, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves and then the brain working to find and to prove ourselves right. And then it's like, okay, then it further perpetuates the stories that we tell ourselves. And then we're constantly being, you know, shown the evidence that we're right. And then so, you know, I think it's so important because I think like, how do we break out of this? We have to like literally pause. Like, I think that's the always the best, like there's two tools that I always ask for my clients too, is like, number one, use the tool of questions, look at the situation and pause. That's tool number one. And then number two, it's look at it and ask the questions like, is this really what's happening? Is there another way that we can look at this? Is there something else that could have been done? Like there's so many questions that can come forward that I think can shed a different perspective on the same situation and that that can help us break through the imposter syndrome that can help us you know, see through the psychological warfare that we're doing to ourselves and also that other people are doing to us. And then as we are more heightened in sensitivity to all of these things that happen in our head, we are much more resilient because we catch it faster in the future and or we may even stop it in advance of it happening in the future. I think that the the questions are so huge for us too, because I mean, some of the thoughts we tell ourselves are really objectively speaking can be absolutely ridiculous. And I'll even think about, oh my gosh, like just even with a negative life situation where sometimes you're thinking, this is the worst thing ever. It's terrible. And then when you really think about it, actually, it was really not that bad. It was a minor inconvenience and we're okay. And I think we do that 10 times worse, 20 times worse to ourselves when it comes to the little thing that I said in a meeting that was really not a big deal or that, that I ruminate about when it's time to go to sleep. Right. Like how many sleepless nights have you had because of those? <laughs> oh, yeah. And the times I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like I, I remember speaking up in a meeting about something and I'm like, I'm going to get fired. And it's like, of course, I'm not going to get fired. And it wasn't that kind of environment. It wasn't, I mean, some environments can be a really toxic work experience, but it was one where it was a meeting where they were inviting us to share our beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what what do I bring to the table that I should be even saying this? But then, you know, I've really had to do some work for myself yeah. and even kind of, I, I have to get very objective. I think the questions are a really good thing for me, sometimes even just writing down and sometimes seeing on paper, hey, this, like, these are the things I've learned that make me a 
you know, I, I have a valid point to whatever the situation might be, or these are the things I've accomplished. And I hate to, I hate to put accomplishments out on a list, but sometimes I think we even need to do that just to, to recognize on paper, Hey, we really, we really are a lot more than we, than we tell ourselves we are. And, you know, I know you say you don't like to put it down, but that is actually one of the exercises I make my clients do as well, because they're so, because our brains are, I don't know why I don't have the scientific, you know, like explanation for this, but our brains are programmed to look for the negatives, to find the areas where we're lacking. And I think maybe it's just a survival technique or something, but in order for you, for us to reprogram it, we have to do these exercises that basically remind us of how amazing and accomplished we really are. Because for us, and especially for those of you in the audience and, you know, like Valerie, like yourself too, it's like as ambitious, hardworking, intelligent individuals, right? It's always like, okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? And the things that we've accomplished It's like, okay, well, we were always meant to accomplish those. Well, but is it really? Because we could have not accomplished them, right? But we did accomplish them. And so we have to celebrate them too. And celebrating and recognizing and instead of giving the attention to all the things we haven't done yet, it's to refocusing our attention to all the things we have already done because then it builds that confidence. It helps address the imposter syndrome and helps remind us like, we've tackled challenges bigger than this before. Like we can tackle this again. We've survived things that were more painful than this before. We'll survive it again. And there really isn't anything to fear. And I think that's where a lot of this stuff comes from, right? The psychological warfare, whether it's from their side or ours, it's based off of a lot, I think, on fear. Yeah. And I think we get so bogged down in the day to day and we'll get stressed because of whatever it is that we might have going on. And I think that distracts us or even just from the energy. Like I think in general, some of the energies in the room or in in the meeting or what have you, but it becomes like what was once a goal for you becomes the status quo after a while because you you worked for it. You were maybe proud of yourself for like five minutes and then you were on to the next thing. And sometimes I have to sit back and think, wow, five years ago or however many years ago, I would never have dreamed that I could have done this thing and this thing that might be stressing me out now, but whatever it is, but like, wow, look at where I've gotten to. And did I ever think that I would be confident to do X, Y, and Z that are now like so commonplace for me and it's on to the next. Yeah. Sometimes like just thinking to a younger self, even if that's a younger self from like a year ago, six months ago, just before I did whatever the thing was. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's, it's so important because again, to, you know, like what you were saying before, you get used to this new level. So every time we up level, we sit there for a while until we're ready to up level again, right? So every time we're sitting there, it's like a little plateau of where we sit and we get comfortable there. And then the next, you know, and then we forget that it took guts, it took courage to get to this point. And then so it's time to keep moving forward again and that we're capable of doing it. And then we'll get a little comfortable and then it'll be time to get uncomfortable again. (laughs) And, you know, that's that's kind of like life, I think. Yeah. And recognizing that the discomfort is okay. You know, imposter syndrome came up for me in graduate school was something that I I hadn't experienced it in a little while. I'd gotten comfortable. I was about three years into my career at the time. And so I was building at my job, but I wasn't 
I wasn't at the point like now where it's a lot of stretch goals and it's been a lot of rapid change in my role in a, in a short period of time. But at the time I was kind of, I, I had gotten sort of comfortable and I started in this program that I didn't have quite a background, but at the same time, and, and they had told me in the interview process, Hey, you are slightly less experienced than the bulk of the people applying for the program, but we still think that you can bring a certain insight to it and that there's something that you bring to the table that's different from some of the classmates. And so if you're willing to sit and work hard and really listen, then you, I think, can find some success in the program. And I did all of that. But I will say the bulk of the time I was in that program, I'm sitting there thinking, how did they let me in here with all these smart people and not recognizing that there was a skill set I had in my case, it was writing that benefited, you know, and we complemented each other's skills and were able to learn from each other. But it really was such a thing where the whole time or for most of that time, I'm like, they're going to kick me out. They're going to realize there was a clerical issue and that I wasn't supposed to be here, even if I was doing well in the class, you know? Yeah. and But you know what? Kudos to the organization that brought you in for recognizing and for promoting the diversity, right? Because that's amazing that people were able to see that your uniqueness was going to add value to the organization. I mean, so few organizations today actually do that. They're they're really looking for kind of like little minions of themselves, right? Like running around. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's great. But you are absolutely right. It, you know, I think if you allow for your brain to focus on everyone and everything else like that is what it will pick up so eventually you were able to find your zone of genius and your superpower and leverage that so you know that that's kudos to you for doing the work and for coming out better from that experience Thank you. I loved being in a cohort and I recommend it to anybody going through a program like that because we really had to lean on each other a little bit. And as you're working in a team setting, and I hated school projects in in undergraduate and in high school, but when it got to that point where, hey, we're all paying for it. So at that point, everybody was very serious about getting the work done. We really were able to learn from each other and bounce ideas off of each other. And when suddenly we're coming to one another with different issues that we might be going through and everybody has this different perspective and suddenly these intelligent, successful people are asking me and I'm thinking I must be bringing a perspective that they're not getting elsewhere. But yeah, I was I was so grateful to the program director at the time because because numbers wise, I don't know if I was. I was a little bit below the average amount of experience that they were looking for and had come from a different background in terms of academics. And I was so grateful for that. But yeah, finding what makes you unique and figuring out that the thing that does make you unique is also that it is a strength and it is a superpower. It's not necessarily the thing that I always thought was the thing that made me a little weird. There's something powerful in that. But for those who are listening, who are thinking, you know, maybe they are in that stage where they're like, I'm not really sure how I fit into whatever it is that I'm doing, or they're trying to figure out how they can leverage what they bring to the table. How do we find that zone of genius if, if we don't know what that is? That's such a good question, because if it's our zone of genius, then it's inherent to us, right? Like we think it's no big deal, but everybody else, we're like, oh my goodness. And so I think that's the first place you start. You ask people around you if you have anybody that you can trust, you know, to give you an objective answer and say like, hey, what am I really good at? What are the things that just come that you see come to me with ease that maybe you wouldn't be able to do, you know, as well? And then the other thing too is to take note. 
right? Like, what is it that, I mean, so many of us are like, oh my God, that's so easy. I can't believe they can't do that. Like, take note of what those things are, um, because those will all fall within your zone of genius. And these little things added together will give you a bigger picture about what it is that is your zone. And so that you can grasp a better understanding of what fits into that zone. Yeah. Having those people in our lives that can really be honest with us and give us that feedback in such a constructive way and be able to say, because there are things where, yeah, you're so right. We all think that the things that we're good at because they come so easily to us that they're just normal things that everyone can do. And I certainly have sat in meetings where I'm like, how does nobody know this? And it's not that I'm a genius in every possible thing. (laughs) It's that there's maybe a particular thing that comes naturally to me because then they'll say something. I'm like, I never would have thought of that. And that's and that's their genius. And yeah, having the people we can turn to. Yeah. And that's why having diversity of thoughts and beliefs and background is so important. (laughs) So important. I completely agree. (laughs) I mean, I think that enhances any group that you're in. And yeah, just to have, yeah, that different perspective and the people that bring the different skills to the table Mm -hmm. or different, yeah, different beliefs to the table, for sure. They're going to be looking at it differently. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I can't stress. Yeah, I mean, anyway, but total side topic, but yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm like, we could do a whole episode on that. And but it does. It makes us, I think, a lot more well-rounded. It makes mm-hmm. companies a lot more well-rounded. Yeah. And yeah, so I completely agree with you there. So we touched on the success method at the very beginning. And I'd love to know first and foremost what success means to mm-hmm. you and then kind of dive into some of the tools that the success method brings. Yeah. Well, I think it's so funny because we've been talking about some of the tools already, but I'll, I'll summarize them. But for me, you know, I used to think that success was about money and about, you know, achieving certain things that you can only accomplish with money. So it always just boiled down to money. But really at the end of the day, you know, as I really look at what success means to me, because how much money is enough, right? What is Who determines what success threshold is when it comes to money? Like, yeah, maybe I could be, you know, billion dollar rich. Okay, great. But then if I have billion dollars, but nothing else, does that mean that I would be successful or that I would think of myself as successful? I don't think so. Right. So, you know, I started looking at what is success for me. And it really is there's there's really two components is to do what I love and be with the people that I enjoy being with and surrounding myself with these individuals who I can have conversations like the one I'm having with you and, you know, just kind of like share experiences and and, you know, kind of grow from each other like that to me is success, but also to have an impact on people. Like I grew up wanting to be a doctor. And the reason I wanted to be a doctor was because, you know, I wanted to help people. I wanted to make them feel better. I wanted to be better. I wanted to have a direct impact on their life. And then I went to um, college and did a pre-med and almost failed. And so I was like, oh no, (laughs) doctor's not in the cards for me. Um, And then, so, you know, I, I went into finance, but focused on a role that really was about helping the organization and doing good for the organization. Right. And that's always been the thing that I've been motivated by is to do what's always best for the greater good of people, right? Not self-serving in a way. And so if I can do that and make money and be comfortable and be surrounded by the people I love and be able to contribute to their lives and help them live a life that doesn't have to be filled with the challenges that I myself have experienced, then that to me is success. 
I love that. My definition is so similar. And I really do feel like there's just so much more gratification. And I'm sure, again, we all define it differently for ourselves, but there's so much gratification when you can say that whatever it is that you're doing is making a meaningful yeah. difference for somebody. Yeah. It, it adds meaning to my life. I don't know about you, but it definitely adds meaning to my life. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, wow. <laughs> And like I get so giddy when I heard when I hear people, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, it's life changing or you've, you know, made such a difference. Like those are the even those little things. It doesn't cost anything. I don't gain anything out of it monetarily, but my cup just overflows, right? With gratitude and yeah, pure joy at that point. Yeah, it's a different kind of energy for sure. Just when you know, and that was a funny thing when I did that, when I did that strength assessment, that was one of those things. We had the learned behaviors Mm -hmm. that were the things that you, yeah, that you're doing too much of and that you're good at, but that are really taking your energy Mm -hmm. away. But there were also those things that were the unrealized potential where it was the things that you're not putting enough time into that you actually get a lot of energy out of and it just compounds. And for me, that was that focus on legacy and giving back. And so I found that when there are times because, you know, companies ultimately, many of them need to make money. And so when there were times where I couldn't really focus on that legacy career wise, then, okay, where can I extend that into my personal Mm -hmm. life or with a nonprofit I can serve or whatever it might be, but figuring out, yeah, where I can find that meaning that really does make me so much happier. And it's all, I almost feel selfish, but at the same time, it's like, well, you're giving back and it's, it's, it's such a lovely feeling to know that what you're doing is making even one person's life better. And you know what? And it's not selfish because when you feel good, that energy emanates out into the world too. And it's shared and makes other people feel good. And then it's like this compound effect right and so it's absolutely not selfish it's very giving so keep doing it (laughs) (laughs) well you too I mean the work you're doing is so cool and I with our jobs and I think this is this is really fantastic work because so often when we think about that intuition when we think about wellness and even the spirituality piece we don't often equate that with corporate America and I think we can have both if we're intentional and we're really yeah and we can find meaning in a career that's a nine to five or that's you know not necessarily the company that you own and I think that that's such a cool thing and I think for many of us work is a third of our waking out or the it's a third of our lives or more for the high achievers out there or for those who just you know maybe work multiple jobs and so to be able to find meaning and to pursue that growth and for you to be able to help people with that I mean that has to be so fulfilling too Thank you. Yeah, it really is. It really, really is. And I agree. Like, I think we, we're we all entrepreneurs, whether we're an entrepreneur within a corporation or we are entrepreneurs within our own businesses. We all have that entrepreneurial aspect to our jobs, right? So we make it what we like. We can make our jobs what we want it to be. Um, it's the same thing with the business. We can make it what we want it to be. And so just because you're in corporate doesn't mean you don't get to decide how, you know, the experience that you want to take away from it. 
Absolutely. So one of my questions with that too, and, you know, speaking with like the, the success method and how you, um, you know, how you've leveraged that to really build in your career and find more meaning in general, how do we find more meaning and joy in, in the work that we're yeah. doing? If, because I think for many of us, that's a scary thing to think about is like, well, what does light yeah. me up and how do we figure that out? Yeah. So I think we didn't really touch on the success method. So let me just kind of take a step back. So the success method in and of itself, like we did touch it, but we didn't touch on it. So we have been touching on the tools that I actually use within the success method. And the first, you know, but before we even can go into what the method entails, it's like we have to first start with what I call the North Star locator, right? And that is really an understanding what it is that we want and why and getting away from the what it is that we're supposed to want, right? And when we can figure that out, then we can absolutely turn any situation into something that that is meaningful for us. And so, for example, like the example that I gave is that I've always wanted to help people. And that's why instead of becoming a doctor, I became a lawyer. It was something I could manage better than, you know, bio pre-med. And from there, I was able to work within the risk and compliance department within my corporation. And that is serving the greater good, right? It's enforcing regulations, enforcing rules so that it helps everybody, including those within the organization and outside of the organization. And that all serves the North Star that I have, which is to serve others, to help others, to be able to be of service to others, right? And and the reason why I do that is because it makes me feel like I've always, and it's something that I've learned for myself too, is that for me, I need to be of service to others. I need to be a value add for any organization that I'm in, including my own, right? Including my family. And so like the two of that put together, it creates, so I was able to find this role and to extract these points from the job that I do from the role that I have. Now, am I, a doctor and healing people? No, I'm not. And so it's just a different flavor of service than what I had originally expected, right? And this flavor of service suits me better. That's why it's so important to actually use that North Star locator to really identify like, what are we really striving to do? And then, you know, with success method, it's it's everything that we've talked about so far. It's like, what is your definition of success? It's so important to remove the conditioning aspect of the definition. Like, what have you been conditioned to believe? And it's how is that working out for you? And then what is it that is really meaningful for you, right? And like we had talked about that with the money aspect. I think so many of us are driven by money and we see it. And I don't know about you, but I like it drives me crazy when I see this online and social media. I just made seven seven figures. I just, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, great. But what impact have you had? And, you know, you can literally make seven figures, but it's a burn and churn through your customer base. And is that really a sustainable process for you, right? I mean, yes, there are billions of people in the world, but like eventually people, you know, will find out and you're not going to get any of the same registrants, right? And then we talked about underscoring our success so far, because again, we're so in tune with what we haven't achieved yet. We forget about everything that we have achieved yet. And then what we haven't talked about so far is to create the new roles that are aligned with our purpose, aligned with what it is that we want, because we have been so programmed to put our head down and keep going for our goals that we forget that somewhere along the way, our goals don't necessarily align with us anymore. Right. So if I never did the spot check of like, what is my success now? 
I would still be chasing after money, but then I would still be feeling really empty and going through that vicious cycle of like, what am I really going for? And so it's important to create the new goals that are aligned with what we believe in now. And as humans, we're constantly going to evolve. So it's always going to be a constant reevaluation. Um, and then the next thing is like energy maintenance, because you can't keep going for big dreams if number one, you don't believe you can do it, aka imposter syndrome. And then number two, it's if you're always tired and you don't have the energy to do it because you're spending it everywhere else, right? And then you know, I think this other thing that gets me too, <laughs> it's like I'm ranting right now, but this other thing that gets me too is this commercialized version of self-care. Right. So like, yeah, self-care is great, but you have to disconnect and like disconnect mentally and energetically and not just go for a massage. But you're sitting there gossiping with your friend or checking the news or, you know, responding to your emails like those may not necessarily be a disconnection from the things that are stressing you out. So you have to be able to like really be aware of how that's impacting your energy. Oh, yeah, I can definitely relate on the energy maintenance because there are a lot of things I want to be doing for my own personal development right now and really just for my personal fulfillment and as a self-care practice. And it, all of those things end up very bottom of the list when there's everything else going on. And meanwhile, like I always tell this story about basically taking my first like real vacation in my full-time job. A couple of years into working there, I was finally going somewhere that wasn't my parents' house and was very excited. And my friends and I, we went hiking, we were on top of a mountain and I was answering an email on top of the mountain on my phone. And I'm thinking, you know, in hindsight, and I really try to be a lot more intentional now on that, on that break time, but sometimes it does like those yeah. times do blur into, into each other. Mm -hmm. And I have to really recognize it when it's happening. Yeah. 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 Cause the, yeah, the commercialized self-care, you know, the bubble baths and all of that, yeah. it's like, that's great. And then we're also scrolling yeah. probably while we're doing it. Yeah. And then like, I don't know about you, like, and, and you're highly sensitive, so you might feel this way too, but like social media is exhausting to scroll through. Mm hmm Right. Yeah. And I think people who maybe not are as in tune don't realize just how much they're mentally and energetically engaging in all of this crap that's going on social media. So if they're not disconnecting from it every so often, then it's like an energy vampire. It really does suck a lot of the energy away. So it's something to be very thoughtful of. And, you know, I, I don't know about what you think too, Valerie, but for me, this concept, and it's like this myth in corporate, is the work-life balance too. And for me, I don't think there's a balance. I think there's a fluidity. So I think people have to realize that yeah, there will be times and, and, you know, I'm not saying like, don't check in, but there will be times you're going to have to check in. It's priorities, right? And so we're human and we got to do it. But if you don't have to, then don't feel obligated to and then don't feel guilty when you don't do it because that's like a triple effect on your energy. Oh, yeah. I I fall into the same trap. Like, because I, I also I participate in a lot of local organizations and I serve in leadership out there and it bleeds into itself a little bit because the people I work with they're genuinely friends of mine so we we may be having a great time but then it does turn into a little bit more of a project or a work thing where we aren't totally disconnected from whatever it is or just just the whole thing with uh, with the social media too like I, I've gotten into a habit a little bit where I'll go on TikTok to like look up how to do something because there will be like one thing I need to do in the house and it has there are some really great I 
I cleaned out my tea kettle I needed to clean out forever. I found the best hack for it that took me no time. And I was so happy about it. And then like an hour later, I'm still on there. And I'm just I have no energy. I don't want to do anything else for the day. (laughs) And I'm like, where did this happen? And you know, I have to manage social media sometimes for work. I'm like in a little bit of a of a hybrid role with that. But when I do, I have to have the notifications and everything. Mm -hmm. But there are times where I do turn notifications off or if there's someone where maybe for the relationship's sake, it's important that I still, you know, like politically to follow them, whatever it is, like it's a, you know, like someone close. But if they're if what they're posting does not make me happy, if Mm -hmm. it like really just takes away from my energy, I will make it so that it does not appear on my feed. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of curate that a little bit yeah. for yourself because there were things I was seeing in my spare time because social media is like kind of our spare time that we're scrolling. And yeah, and then suddenly it's turning in like it's seeping into mm-hmm. <laughs> into my life yeah. and making me angry for no reason. Yeah. And then three to four videos later and then three hours later, you're like, holy crap. What yeah. <laughs> A hundred percent. And yeah, so I think that energy maintenance, I mean, that's something we don't talk about enough. And for the highly sensitive too, I mean, because you're you're picking that up everywhere. I mean, I'm sure you you do this as well. You can read tone in yeah. in a caption or in a message mm-hmm. in a way that sometimes they don't realize is coming through. Yeah. And I've found sometimes just putting my phone even on do not disturb at times. I'm like, I just have to read my book or sit outside and zone out. And sometimes that's what I need. And oh my gosh, but it's definitely, it's hard. I think it has to be that fluidity because, you know, I had a week where there was just something every single day and it was taking up a lot of that time and the balance that wasn't really there. I did the best I could, but it's like, Hey, this is just going to be a little bit of a busier week. And I'm going to need to check in more on this. But then also recognizing, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I put on my list that I'm thinking, I don't need, this doesn't even align with me anymore. I have no desire to actually do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why is it there? And I don't have to do it, you know? Yep. yep. And then we just self-inflict our, you know, it's like self-inflicted wounds, right? And then we think we have to, but we don't. And then that just keeps us in busy state, which is not necessarily productive state too. And so that's extremely important to be able to decipher. Um, And I think, you know, one of the things that I had tried to make clear in helping people understand the difference, too, in that um, freebie that I have, Valerie, is that, you know, I think we keep ourselves in busy state because it means something, whereas I think the more productive we are, the more success we'll achieve with less overwhelm, with less of the hustle culture, with less of the energy drain. And then you have more time to do, you know, the things that really matter. Yeah, because I certainly I'll have things on my list where I'm thinking this does not actually have to get done. No one has asked me to do this. This is not really going to benefit anyone to the extent that something else could. It's like it's very low importance. And then I have the guilt and I think a lot of us do of why haven't I done this yet? Why haven't I done it? Or even maybe it is something that we've been assigned, but that if we spoke with a manager or someone to say, hey, this is why I think that this could actually be done in this different way and it doesn't have to be done like this at this time and really being intentional about it, not just trying to get out of work to get out of work, but to explain to them, hey, if I step away from this, if we're not spending so much time on this, we can spend the time on the things that matter. That's definitely something. But yeah, busy versus productive is something so many of us struggle with. What are some of the exercises you recommend or what do you um, what do you have clients do when they're finding themselves busy, busy, busy and exhausted and feeling that guilt at the same time? 
Yeah, I think I think the first thing is what is taking up the time? Like, how are you allocating the time? Because, like, you know, like kind of to your point earlier, is that like we could be on social media for two hours and not even realize that that's where we're spending so much of our free time. Right. And then we're like, oh, my God, we're so busy. Like, this is what drives me <laughs> Oh my God. I feel so bad at saying this all the time. Is that like, I hear so many people say, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Oh my gosh. I'm so busy. But then when, let's say for example, then when it comes down to performance management, like what do you put there? Oh, I don't know. I answer a lot of emails. Like that's, (laughs) that's not, you know, performance management. So I think it's very much like, okay, let's, you know, in a personal performance management, like let's look at What have you accomplished? What is it that you're looking to accomplish? What have you accomplished? And then everything else is like, how are you spending your time? Let's get a very clear grasp of it, you know, as much as possible, right? Like day to day, you can't really, but take a week, take a day. And the the objective of this exercise is not to say like, oh, I spend 51 minutes from 9am to 9.51 brushing my teeth and da da da. No, but it's really to become aware of like, okay, how are we spending our time? Because we go through life on habit, we go through life on like this automatic play, rather than being intentional and, and conscious about the way that we spend our time, the thoughts that we have, right? And so when we slow down and we make note of it, this really brings a lot more awareness and breaks that habit, that habitual acts. But And it really, you know, kind of forces us to pay attention. And then once we do that, then we can say like, okay, how does this, remember what I said about the exercise of what I call the North Star Locator. So then we use that. And when using that, it's like, how are these activities that we're spending our time, does it contribute to us getting closer to where we want to go? Or is it detracting because it's taking our time away from it and it's not productive? And so it's really just looking at it and, and taking that time to evaluate it. And, you know, I think sometimes we sit here and we're like, oh, my goodness, more work to figure out how to do less work. <laughs> But I think we have to. Otherwise, I don't have a magic pill for it. You know, I don't know if anybody does, right? And I think a lot of people will come in and say, like, well, you you can do a very technical way of time management, but I don't necessarily know if that works because a lot of the times, if you can't budget your time, then there's something greater to it. There's something deeper that needs to be looked at. Yeah, and I think some of those techniques can be really beneficial in a perfect world. And if I'm working from home on a particular day and I'm on do not disturb and there isn't whatever it is going on in our office, then yeah, I can time block and really be intentional and get X, Y, and Z done on the time frame that I planned. But it's not a perfect world. And I can go into the office one day and I can have all the best intentions and systems set up. But if if the CEO just stops by my desk or whatever distractions pop up or something happens, I mean, again, my intentions can be good, but there's more to it. And it could be a cultural thing in the office. There could be unexpected situations. I mean, we just don't know. And I think it's good to have some of those tools in place, but to recognize that they yeah. don't always work if, yep. if it's not going to be the situation. Yeah, exactly. And that's the fluid part, right? Because like allowing for these situations and not getting up set by it but but if you think about it too is that if the ceo comes and you know and asks you to do something it's probably going to take you closer to your north star to what it is that you're looking to achieve as well so you know i wouldn't say that that wasn't a productive thing i, I think it would be 
you know, productive thing unless the CEO is coming to ask you to like photocopy something, which if it's not part of your job responsibilities, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's another. I think it's another example of how we get so status quo with like, well, this is just what I do, and to think, well, actually, like this type of assignment never would have come to me five years ago or two years ago. And to, you know, rather than I think getting so in our heads of like, well, I was supposed to do X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. this week. So that, I mean, that certainly pops up. But I think that productive versus busy is so important to be navigating and to kind of recognizing where we're incorporating one versus the other. Because yeah, there's so, so often that I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm getting so much done. I'm thinking, am I really getting anything done that is actually meaningful Mm -hmm. to whatever it is? And sometimes absolutely. And sometimes nope, Mm -hmm. it's the minutia and the things that are not taking me away from the goals, but not getting me any closer to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I always like, I think a really good metric too, um, I don't know if you use this too, is that like, is this something I can put onto my performance management that will actually make a difference and that I'm like proud to put onto it, right? Because there's so there, like, you know, I remember in my younger years, it's like, okay, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And then when it comes down to performance review time, I'm like, I, I don't know what to put <laughs> because I've been so busy helping everybody else that I haven't done anything to help myself. And so yeah, so being aware of that, I've actually been a lot more firm about how I spend my, not firm, but like, you know, kind of like establishing the boundaries of like, okay, how quickly do I respond to my emails? Where am I going to put my focus on, you know, instead of like being available at all ends for everybody else? Yeah. And I think that's something, it could be a huge struggle. I think, again, I think that's another thing, especially for women, because we're conditioned to, you know, you want to, be well I may, maybe it is just in general this time in our history because we're getting every possible notification on our phones and email on our phones and it's very easy to see something after work and think I need to respond to this right away even though it's a it really isn't something that's urgent or important. And I've actually been very intentional. If I do have to send an email, sometimes at a, at a weird time, I try, I try to delay it so that they're not getting it at some weird time and panicking. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think we're so conditioned to like, well, there, this needs to be done right now. And we maybe sometimes, and I think we sometimes expect it then yeah. from everybody else too. And it's in, in real life, in the real world, like you need some time to like actually absorb the thing and, mm-hmm. and to be able to think about it and maybe to be, yeah, doing, doing the other things too. <laughs> so yeah. How do we, how do we kind of change our mindset around the boundaries and like, what are some things we can be doing to put our self care ahead of where we're probably putting it now? Yeah. I think it's always important to take a look. It's like, if you are responding to somebody, I I think there's always a reason why we feel this immediate need to respond, right? Is it because it's important? And if it's not important, then can it wait? And if it can wait then, and you're feeling guilty about it, or you're feeling nervous about it, then let's take a look at why. Because a lot of times it's that people pleasing conditioning or it's a fear that we're going to upset our managers or be judged or something because we're not available at all hours. But then is it really reasonable to expect for us to be available at all hours? And some of you know the audience may say, yeah, it is because it's my job. Okay, well, that's great. But I'm pretty sure because even the most demanding jobs will allow for time off. So when it's that time off that they're allocated, 
then that's when they have to be a little bit firmer about the boundaries that they establish. Or maybe it's just two years of their lives or three years of their lives that they're going to go all in. And then with the expectation that when they come out, they're going to be able to create more of that boundary. So, you know, it's different for everybody, but I would say if it's important, absolutely respond. But I would say most things are not that important. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think yeah. it's like a self-placed importance, but I don't know if in the rea- real world it's really that important. Yeah. It feels like it's, yeah, the end of the world. And then ultimately, yeah, it's something that it could wait till tomorrow. It could wait till next week. It's not as big of a deal. So yeah, I think recognizing that and then having the same respect and um, understanding too when on the flip side, maybe the person doesn't get back to you like, mm-hmm. you know, yesterday, like a lot of times because because I find myself in that boat sometimes mm-hmm. too. And I have to remind myself, well, everybody has other things going on in their lives. Right. And yeah. And so to to give ourselves that space and that understanding and then to do it for the people around us. One other question I do have with creating this success for ourselves and I think more meaning in our work. I know that the self-care piece is really important. What are just some other practices we can be doing to really get, I think, restorative rest in this time and just be creating the space for ourselves to be setting intentions and having this space in our lives to reflect? Yeah. So I think it's, I will expand on the self-care. So for me, it's like, I see a difference in my energy and in my ability to bounce back from things based off of my morning rituals. So if I'm not as consistent with them, I tend to get a little bit more caught up in the negatives than in the positives. So my morning rituals are extremely important to me. Exercise or getting out into a walk in nature, like that is completely restorative for me. So I think it's in doing the things that help the audience and the individuals really allowing themselves to do the things that they know are restorative and the five minutes here, the 10 minutes there, like it all adds up. And I think it's just so important in terms of the energy, in terms of being able to be more focused and to be more resilient. And I think, you know, one of the things I always I stress, but I know a lot of people can't do it too, is that like the disconnection. Right. So, and it's okay to disconnect from the news. Like, I barely read the news these days. Like, I'll skim just to better understand, like, what's happening, but I don't go too deep into it because, quite frankly, we're not getting facts anyway. We're getting a lot of like op ed. Um, But then, disconnect from the news. Sometimes it's to disconnect from friends or family, and it's to be okay to do that. Sometimes, like, if for moms or dads, it's saying, like, hey, I just kind of need to put my kids in front of a TV for a little bit so I can have a little quiet time. And that's okay too. Like there's no judgment or there shouldn't be any judgment, whether from self and for others, who cares? Like they're not in your shoes. Like you have to do the little things that matter to you. Yeah. I mean, you ultimately show it better for the kids and for everyone in your life when you're taking that time for yourself anyway. And it does help with the focus and the, and the resilience. And yeah, for me, that disconnection from the news is it's, it's so big. Right? I, I've gotten, <laughs> you know, I've set myself a boundary where I really tr- 
occasionally, like if I do have company and they want to watch, um, or if I'm staying with family, they, they have the news on like a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of will step away from some of it, but I, you know, I want to be informed. So I'll read the news in the morning and then that's it. Cause I know that by listening to the people talking and really like hearing it and absorbing it and seeing it in all those different ways Mm -hmm. and just videos in general, I'm going to take on so much more of it. It's, I, I want to know what's going on, but I can't drag it with me through the whole day in that way. And cause I I don't work in that field either. And I'm not doing necessarily that work and still, still caring about what's going on and being knowledgeable, but a lot of the time kind of sticking to you, okay, I'm going to read the news and now I'm done. Mm-hmm. No, I, and it's so good. And it's like, you realize, I mean, even with the last elections, right? Like you, <laughs> it's such a big <laughs> difference. <laughs> yeah. And I felt bad. You know, I had people in my life like, oh, did you see how so-and-so did in this debate or that debate? And it's like, on the one hand, I would have been interested to see it. And on the other hand, I'm like, I know who I'm voting for. I'm just going to get mad. I don't really need to see this. I can read the recap later, but I don't necessarily need to watch several hours and then the commentary afterward on it. I I already do that with my reality shows too. And that probably I end up absorbing too much of those weird negative um, energies too. So yeah, I think in general, I've been watching a lot less TV and that's protected my energy too. But yeah, understanding what restores us and mm-hmm disconnecting in whatever way makes sense for us and is feasible for us for sure. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. Well, I think what you're doing is amazing. I think we've gotten into so many amazing topics. I feel like we could do a lot of different episodes, (laughs) Uh, but I I would love to switch gears and ask you some rapid fire questions as well. So the listeners, yeah, they, they get to know you a little bit more and just some fun questions, but Um, My first one for you, what is your top wellness tip? So I think you heard it before, (laughs) but to disconnect, absolutely disconnect. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now on a very separate topic, but we are wellness and wanderlust. Where's your favorite travel destination? Yeah. So I was thinking about this a lot. And for me, it is absolutely anywhere where there's really good food and there is an ability to enjoy nature. So yeah, it's like, I love going back home to Taiwan just because the food is amazing, but I also love like hanging out on the beach and just kind of like digging my feet in and and being in that restorative space too. So it's hard to pick just one. Yeah. But I think that vibe, I think that's really a nice thing. And yeah, that, that time in nature is, and I know everybody has different preferences on where they'd want to go and beach versus mm-hmm. mountain or whatever it may be. Uh, for me, it's like if I'm outside and it's beautiful, I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. If there's an animal around that's not going to eat me, I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and even if it is a little bit scary and it's far enough away and I can take a picture of it or whatever. Yeah, it's like I can, fenced you know, in. Good. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is nice. I love that. Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? So I would be a giraffe because you get to see things just from a different perspective, right? Like you're not so much caught in the weeds, but they get like that overall view, I feel like. I like that. And I feel like that's a very good one for the for the highly sensitive person too, because you're you're really getting to see everything and you have, I think, that broader perspective of what's going on. Yeah. No, I agree. You don't get stuck in the weeds. Yeah. I love that. I don't know if we've ever gotten giraffe. Oh, really? Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? 
singing. I've always like I sung, I sang, not sung. I sang in chorus when I was in school, but like I would love to, you know, have the voices of those individuals that are on those talent shows, like really the professional level singing. That'd be super cool. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm not even anywhere. Like I've not made it into a choir like I <laughs> but I I wish that I had some mu- musical talent. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it, it, it's so pretty. Yeah. It like brings people together. Mhm. Yeah. Yep, agreed. And my last rapid fire question for you, what's next on your bucket list? So, I would love to be on I know this sounds so crazy, but I would love to have a sold out show at like Madison Square Garden or something like that would be so amazing. And so, yeah, that is definitely on my bucket list. That's so cool. Anyone in particular that you'd want to go see? Well, I would want to perform with them Ooh, or like be yes. on stage with them. So like I would love to share a stage with like Brene Brown Ooh. or, you know, like of course everybody says Oprah, so I can't not say Oprah. Oh, yeah. But to really do what they do, like that would be super cool. That's amazing. I think that would be so, so cool. And yeah, they're both, I mean, they really are both amazing. I love, I will, mm-hmm. you, you got to say Oprah. Yeah. I mean, you have to, right? Like, yeah. it's Oprah. Like, you can't, you know, you got to do Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> That is so cool. I think that's an amazing bucket list item. And I do hope for that for you. And when that does, uh, when that does come to fruition, you'll need to let me know so I can book my ticket before it sells out. (laughs) Okay. You can have it for free. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Thank you. Jean, this has been amazing. I would love to invite you to share with our listeners where they can find you and connect and a little bit about your podcast too. Oh yeah, absolutely. So they can find me on my website and it's jeantien.com. So that's J-E-A-N-T-I-E-N.com. And also I have a podcast as well. It's called Being Unapologetically Authentic. Uh, We are in season two right now. And so this season, actually, it's focused on elevating and highlighting Asian American women voices, actually female voices, and just sharing their stories. And then I also have a book coming out soon called Your Success Blueprint. So that will be released, I think, either by the end of December or January. So that will be available on my website, too. That's awesome. I'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes. And I can't wait to read your book too. I am so really energized by everything that we talked about and I feel so aligned with what you do. And I'm really excited to connect with that. And I know the listeners are really going to relate as well. But Jean, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know before I let you go? No, I just want to thank them for joining us in this conversation. I hope that They've been able to take away some of the tools that we've talked about, right? And to really feel inspired to take action, to prioritize themselves first, because that's really so important when they're looking to really achieve the big goals that they have for themselves. That's amazing. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on and for sharing your insights and experiences and these practices with us. I think, again, I think this is going to be so impactful for so many and it's impactful for me personally. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Valerie. I really enjoyed this conversation and thank you again for having me. I loved chatting with Jean and truly aligned with so much of what she had to say. Success can mean so many different things to different people 
And in order for us to really find our purpose and to start to find meaning in our work, it's important for us to uncover that North Star that can guide us. This was such a powerful conversation, and I truly found Jean's tips to be really actionable. Jean also has a freebie on her website that I recently downloaded that can help you reclaim your time, which is something I'm really excited to begin incorporating as I start to refocus for the year ahead. I will definitely keep you posted on what I uncover in that journey. So I have linked Jean's information in the show notes. Make sure you visit her website, follow her channels if you would like to connect and if this conversation resonated with you. As always, thank you all so much for tuning in and for being a part of the Wellness and Wanderlust community. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Wellness and Wanderlust blog. You can also email me at Valerie at Wellness and Wanderlust.net to let me know what you think of the show, to reach out with the topic you might have in mind. I always do check those emails and those messages. One of the best ways to lend your support to the show, and it is the holiday season, so you know if you're looking to buy me a gift, you don't have to do that. What you can do is leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in from. It helps people find the show. It lets me know what you think, and it makes a huge difference for podcasters when you leave those ratings and reviews. So if you find yourself tuning in regularly, or even if this one episode resonated with you, I would really love to hear your thoughts. I hope you all have a fantastic day, a happy holiday season, and I will see you next time.